Studio Tortu presents Deep Folk, Tales from the Generator. Deep Folk is a first-person adventure radio drama created using AI Dungeon Dragon Engine. Hello, Deep Folk Adventurers, and welcome to Brother Chili, Act 1, Episode 2, The Mystery of the Mermaid. This episode was created and read by Malcolm Sutherland. You are Brother Chili and have been expelled from your religious order of fast food for trying to expose the murder of the previous abbot. You and Brother Cola Open managed to fight your way out of the abbey and escaped onto a boat headed to the mainland. With his dying words, Father Custard compelled you to visit the hot dog police in Neo, New York, talk to Chief Pringaman, and bring the mysterious keepers of the food to justice. You are currently on a week-long boat trip to the mainland. The captain of this ship is Ian Toller. And that is where our adventure begins. You awake in your bunk with a throbbing headache and a bandaged shoulder. The room is heaving back and forth, and for a minute you feel sick. Then suddenly, you are violently sick over the side of the bunk. I'll get the bucket! A voice cries out. You look up to see Brother Cola open rushing over with a bucket. He helps you up, and you look out of a porthole. You're at sea. What happened? You ask, groggily. We got on a boat says Brother Cola Open. You stare at him. Oh, I think I'm going to be sick again, you say, bending over the bucket. You continue heaving into it as the boat continues to rock back and forth. The memories of your trials come flooding back. The Abbey, Father Frankfurter, Father Santuzzo, poor Father Custard, and the escape. You wretch again into the bucket. I'm sorry, brother, says Brother Cola Open sympathetically. You wipe your mouth and stare out of the porthole. You're at sea. Where are we? You ask. Going to New York, says Brother Cola Open. Can you find the hot dog, please? You clutch yourself to the bucket and vomit into it. Suddenly, there's a knock at the cabin door. Come in, you say, immediately feeling sick again. The door opens and a burly sailor in a chef's hat walks in. He's holding a box of pizza. Pizza, he says. Want some? You stare at him, feeling sick. Come on, he says, offering you a slice. It's good. It smells delicious, so you grab a slice and quickly devour it. You feel better immediately. Oh, thanks, you say. I haven't eaten in a while. I know, he says. I've been watching you for the past few days. You look at him, horrified. It's okay, he says, offering you another slice of pizza. My name is Tom, he says. I'm the head cook on this floating crate. You take a slice of pizza from the box. Why are you helping me? You ask. I'm not, he says. I'm helping the pizza. What? You ask as the pizza's aroma fills your nostrils. You're hungry. I'm hungry. The pizza's hungry. 
It's a match made in heaven. Let's eat. He takes a slice of pizza and bites into it. You do likewise, and the delicious flavors explode in your mouth. This is amazing pizza. Soon afterwards, you're feeling much better and are able to go up on deck. You walk around the deck, breathing in the fresh sea air and enjoying the sunshine. Hey, says Tom from a door leading to the kitchen. Could you grab me some beers? There's another crate of them over there. You turn and see a large crate of beer sitting on the deck. You say, hey, no problem, Tom. Hope I can pay you back for that pizza somehow. Don't worry about it, says Tom. Just grab me a beer, would you? You go over to the crate of beer and pick one out. You twist off the cap and take a sip. It's warm and tastes disgusting. You say, spitting it out. You go back over to Tom with the warm beer. Cholesterol! Tom, what is this stuff? This is the weirdest root beer I've ever tasted. It ain't root beer, he says. It's beer. What? What? You say. I like it warm, he says. Tom takes the bottle from you and downs it all in one gulp. He belches loudly and then looks at you, smiling. Thanks for getting me a beer, he says. You stand there looking at Tom. He's scraggly-haired with dark skin, covered with scars and tattoos like some kind of ancient swaggering sea creature. He smiles at you and you wonder how he could be happy here. How can you stand it here? You ask, bewildered. Tom looks at you, surprised. What do you mean? He asks. I mean, this is a floating coffin, you say. We're trapped at sea in a floating coffin. It ain't so bad, says Tom. Better than on land. Here you got all the seafood you could want. Seeing Tom and how comfortable he is here, you suddenly realize what a huge world it is and how little of it you've actually experienced. Brother Cola Open walks up beside you and sees the beer. Bubbles, he shouts and grabs one. Hey, you say, but he's already popped the top and taken a swig. He spits it out, spraying beer all over the deck. Yeah, this root beer tastes like piss, he says, making a disgusted face. You and Tom laugh heartily. At least you aren't the only one who's green in the gills. You stand there laughing, and the three of you soon become good friends. Later that day, Tom shows you around the ship's galley. It's a surprisingly sophisticated kitchen with all sorts of modern appliances. I like to cook, says Tom. It's a hobby of mine. You look at the various dishes he's prepared. Each one looks more delicious than the last. Your mouth is watering just looking at them. Go ahead, try some, says Tom. You say, this is amazing, Tom. The only type of food I've ever seen is deep fried hamburgers and potatoes. That's because you're a landlubber says Tom. You haven't tasted the fruits of the sea until you've eaten some sashimi. He slices off a thin piece of raw fish and holds it out to you. You look at it, then at him. You open your mouth and he places it on your tongue. You chew it and it's the best thing you've ever tasted. Amazing, you say. Here, have another slice, he says, offering you more raw fish. You eat several slices of raw fish and then have a slice of some other kind of seafood. It's all delicious. You are so taken with the incredible culinary experiences that Tom has just shared with you that you decide to work in the kitchen and learn from him. You have some more delicious food and then retire to your bunk where you fall asleep. That night you toss and turn. The strangest dreams emerge from the inky blackness of your mind.
You dream of walking along the beach with a woman, your arm around her. She laughs and points out at a starfish in the sand. The two of you laugh and smile at each other. You've never felt so happy in all your life, even though you know it goes against all your brotherly vows. You wake up the next morning panting heavily and drenched in cold sweat and are surprised to find that the boat has stopped moving. You get out of your bunk and go up on deck. Ah, you're up, says Tom. I was going to wake you soon. We've arrived at the fishing grounds. You look out over the ocean and see a large fishing net in the water. What's that for? You ask. That's our fishing net, says Tom. You say, I had some mighty weird dreams last night. Oh yeah? What about? Asked Tom. I dreamed that I was on the beach with a woman, and we were walking along the shore, you say. Oh, sounds like a pleasant dream, says Tom. It was at first, but then it got weird. Tom looks at you expectantly. I, I can't tell you the rest, and you start to blush like a schoolgirl. Why not? You told me about the start of the dream, says Tom. Because in the rest of the dream, I did this, you say, and kiss Tom on the lips. You quickly turn away from him and look out to sea. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know why I did that, you say. The captain walks up. Oh, you're up, he says to you. You can help us haul in the nets. You go down into the belly of the ship where two more sailors are waiting. One of the sailors, a skeletal man named Cole, is in charge of the operation. You and you, he says, pointing to you and a younger sailor named Carl. Pick up that rope and get to the back wall. The rest of you, pull tight on the right rope. You pick up the rope and walk to the back wall. Now, the way this works here is when I pull this lever, the winch is going to snap down from the ceiling and lock into the latch. You make sure that the rope is tied off on the cleat over there. The rest of you, pick up the right rope and do the same thing. You all work in silence until the first rope is tied off. Now, we need to brace the winch with these crossbars and thread the central rope through that pulley over there. You all tie off the second rope and brace the winch. Now, the rest of you pick up the central rope and thread it through the pulley. Make sure you brace that securely. You and Carl pick up the central rope and thread it through the pulley. You put a wooden block against the wall to brace it. You feed the guideline through and tie it off with a governor's knot. Cole notices your handiwork and says, Ah, well done, lad. You all go up onto the deck to survey the nets. Right, you two can go and have some breakfast. Cole says to you and Carl. We'll need another pair of hands to help with the intake in about 20 minutes. Jones and Brown just got themselves seasick, so you two will have to do. Bubbles, says Brother Cola Open. You head down to the galley, where Tom serves you an exquisite dish of pan-fried fish with a side of baked yam. You eat the delicious meal and then go up to the deck. Ah, you're here. You can help us haul in the nets, says Cole. You and Carl take a rope each and walk over to the edge of the ship. Hand over hand, you both pull the nets in towards the boat. You don't think you've ever worked this hard in your life. There's something alive in there, shouts Carl as a huge fish breaks the surface. You all laugh and congratulate Carl, who is beaming with pride. It's a beauty, says Tom. We'll have it for lunch. Oh, well what's that there, caught in the net? You all lean over the side of the ship and look at what appears to be a woman's body, swollen and discolored, caught in the net. By the prophets, says one of the sailors softly, it's a woman. 
You're holding the rope fairly tight, but your hands feel slippery as you realize that the leftovers of your horrible nightmare have just been regurgitated right before your eyes. You say nothing, but hold the rope taut as the body is hauled aboard. She hasn't been dead long, says one of the sailors. Do you think we should do anything for her? Like what? Cole throws back. We're miles from shore and there's nothing we could have done for her anyway. You say, I... Uh, who, who is she? Cole turns and regards you suspiciously. Why are you so interested? He asks slowly. N no reason, you stammer. For all we know, she could be a mermaid, which is basically direct proof that mermaids are real. They're luring men onto these rocks around here and drowning them. Shut up, all of you, the captain shouts. He turns to you. Come to think of it, I'm glad you're here, Green Gills. Why is that? You ask. He goes over to the body. Help me turn her over, he says. You obey, and together you and the captain roll the body from its belly to its back. The sight makes you want to vomit. The woman's eyes are swollen and purple. The tongue is swollen too large for her mouth, and her face is beginning to turn colors. I don't think she was a mermaid, the captain observes grimly. Turn her back over. Together, you and the captain roll the heavy mass of dead weight over. As you do so, something falls out of her mouth and onto the deck. The captain picks it up and holds it out for you to see. It's a golden locket on a fine chain in the shape of a tiny starfish. He tosses it to you and you snatch it out of the air. The captain looks up from the body and announces, She's from one of the fishing villagers, probably washed out to sea during the night. You try to hand him the locket, but he doesn't take it. I don't want that he says dismissively. Put it in your pocket and keep it safe. Come on, let's get this over with. He continues and orders the other sailors to carry her down to the freezer. You stand there in shock when Tom appears next to you. You okay? He asks. I feel awful, you say. He puts his hand on your shoulder and says, She was just a mermaid. Getting fascinated by pretty faces is the way of the sea. You look at him but he's looking away, out at the ocean. You appreciate the comfort, but still feel that you have stepped out into a world that you just can't understand. Everything is so different from the abbey out here on the sea. You can only imagine what the streets of a huge city would look like. You shiver and go to put the locket in your pocket, but you reach for the locket only to find that it's gone from your hand. With all the distraction of the dead woman, you must have dropped it somewhere on the deck. You look around for it desperately, but the sun is in your eyes and you can't see anything on the deck. You'll have to look for it once the sun sets. As you get to work storing the day's haul, you cannot stop thinking about the dead woman or mermaid that you saw being hauled aboard. It was just too strange. The captain said she was from a nearby fishing village, but how did he know? You know that there are seven villages spread around the Great Bay around Neo New York, but you can only remember the names of three, Nigando, Faruja and Tin. In fact, you lived in the fishing village of Tin as a young boy, but were sent away to the abbey almost as soon as you could walk. You can't even remember what direction it's in. The first thing you do when you get back to your locker in the cruise quarters is to take out some books you found about the villages. Maybe there's some clue to where the mermaid woman comes from. You flick through them, but the only one that seems the slightest bit useful has only a crudely numbered coastal map that includes the villages. You spread it out on the floor and look for clues. Unfortunately, 
There isn't anything that tells you much about each village. They are simply numbered clockwise around the bay. Even more unfortunately, you did not know which way the fishermen numbered their villages. You could start at number one, Nigando, or number two, Faruja, or maybe try number three, Tin. You can't even tell which is which. Suddenly you get an idea. If you count off the points on a starfish, one of those numbers would be in the same place. There are five points on a normal starfish, so the fifth village could be Tin. That would mean... You jump up quickly and leave your cabin without putting anything back in its place. You walk speedily towards the captain's room, wondering if you should knock. But before you can decide, you hear his gruff voice coming from inside. You pause and listen at the door. Yes, I know, he's saying. That village has been giving us trouble recently. Yes, I suppose it's about time we made an example of them. Mm-hmm. Yes, a small fishing village like that won't even be missed by anyone. You don't hear any more, but what you did hear was unsettling in the least. You sneak off back down the hallway and decide to look for Brother Cola Open or Tom. They are both in the kitchen talking with each other. Tom sees the look on your face and says, What's wrong? You can barely speak. Tom, do you trust the captain? Why? What happened? I heard him talking to someone on the phone. I think he's gonna kill all the people in a village on our way to Neo New York. Why would he do that? Asked Tom. What did you hear exactly? I heard him say something about an example and a small village not being missed by anyone, you explain. But that's not all. I think that mermaid we caught might have been from the village Tin. Brother Cola opens it. Captain says she's not a mermaid. Brother, I was born in Tin. I could have grown up with her for all I know. So what do we do? Asked Tom. You think for a bit. It would be unwise to confront the captain. You're only a lowly fry brother after all. On the other hand, you can't just sit around while he plans to kill innocent people. We'll have to find out when he's planning to do it and warn them. Tom says. How are we going to do that? You ask. Bubbles? Says Brother Cola open. Great idea, beams Tom. The captain gets loose lips when he's in his cups. But it's not even close to payday, you say, trailing off. We're not paying them off, Stinky. We're getting them drunk. Come on. And with that, Tom and Brother Cola open rush off, leaving you behind. You shrug and follow them out of the kitchen. That night at dinner, you and Tom laced the captain's meal with a heavy dose of pepper whiskey. After dinner, the captain seems even cheerier than usual and declares that he will be in his cabin. You gather round as Tom knocks on the door and the captain lets him in. You two green gills wait out here. I'll get the captain to spill his beans or I'm no chef, says Tom as he shuts the door behind him. You and Brother Cola open wait outside, listening at the door. So, captain, you hear Tom say. How'd you like the dinner I made you? Liked the sauce, hated the mushrooms. Why'd you give me so much? You hear the captain grumble. I thought you'd like them. I got the recipe from a lad I knew in one of the seven villages. Hmm, well, get on with it then. So, the seven villages. When are we going to attack one of them? Never. Never? But why not? Because I said so, that's why not. I'm the captain here, and I say what's get done and what don't. Oh, I just thought with all the trouble they've been causing lately... Tom stammers. You start to worry that Tom is losing his cool. You thought wrong, boy. 
Now stop pestering me about this. I'm not going to attack one of the seven villages. That seems to be the end of it. The conversation turns to other topics. Menial tasks around the ship, like patching the hull with the scum that's always floating on the surface of the water, and other boring things. You're just glad that Tom didn't get into too much trouble. After about an hour, Tom emerges from the cabin. He nods down the hallway and the three of you return to the kitchen. So what did he say? You ask eagerly. He denied altogether that we will attack one of the villages. Tom leans in closer. But I did learn something else interesting. Oh? You say. Yes. I've not had a lot of love for the captain in the way he took over this ship. Sold his soul to the Mafia, he did. If anything is pushing him to get rid of the villagers, I reckon it would be the dawn in Neo-New York. But I don't think he wants to, the captain. Corrupt he may be, but not evil. Tom pauses, then continues. The dawn is evil, and I think he's pushing the captain to attack the villages. So we're just gonna have to stay on guard. I'm not sure we can trust the captain's word. Bubbles? Asked Brother Cola Open. Tom passes Brother Cola open a root beer and ruffles his hair. The next day, you find yourself in the crow's nest. The captain thought it would be a good idea for you to get more acquainted with the ship. You look out over the water and think about everything that's been happening. The captain is a good man. You know that. You trust him. But what about the mermaid? Does the captain know her? And if your deductions are correct and she is from the village tin, what about the dream? As you recall the events on board, you see a small island off the starboard side. It's a lonely and barren rock, small with no distinct features. But somehow you feel drawn to it. It's so small in a vast open sea, isolated from everything else, just like you. The world seems so huge and unknowable compared to life back at the Abbey. You're not sure you're ready for it. And you even doubt if the captain is ready to face the evil that lurks in the hearts of men. You take another look at the small island of barren rock, how bold and defiant it seems in the face of all that empty space. And you're sure of one thing, you have to try. You have been listening to Brother Chili, Act 1, Episode 2. The Mystery of the Mermaid, created by Malcolm Sutherland and written with AI Dungeon Dragon Engine. This episode of Deep Folk Tales from the Generator is a Studio Tortu production and was recorded in August 2020.